gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 118, the review segment for Friday, May 13th, 2016. It's a spooky Friday the 13th episode, except there's a horror movie coming out this week that as far as I know, none of us have seen or ever will see. Right? I'm going in a few. I'm going in like 12 hours. Oh God! Well, Jordan, uh, Jordan Hoffman, <laughs> that's the voice that you hear there. Uh, please report back, Jordan. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, nice to be here. Uh, yeah, that, I, I have a funny story actually. I won't name names, but I was assigned to see that film uh, for the Guardian, which is my main review outlet. And uh, whenever it's a movie like that, I always try to get ahead of it and email the publicist but i couldn't find a publicist attached to the darkness i had to go to the official facebook page of the movie oh boy. and send send a facebook um message and say hello my name is jordan hoffman i i'm i'm reviewing this movie uh, are there going to be any critic screenings in new york and then uh you know, a couple, uh, you know, maybe a half a day later, I check and I get another email. I get a Facebook message back saying, we don't know. Why don't you contact this person? So I wrote to that person and she said, uh, no. So I wrote back <laughs> as a joke. Uh, and she said, no, but if you need high res photos, go to this website. So I said, gee, not even any word of mouth screenings like Thursday night, because, you know, I would get reimbursed. But, you know, sometimes... Thursday night, they let in some, you know, jokers who win movie tickets on a radio station or something. Figured just make my life a little easier just to, to go. Uh, and um, she wrote back, nope. So I wrote back as a joke. I just like said, George, gee. is this story going to end? Is this, is this yeah, it's ending right now. Okay. I wrote back and I said, gee, uh, have you seen the movie? And she said, what are you implying? We would never represent a film that we haven't seen. Whoa. <laughs> no, no wonder that uh, no wonder the darkness ran with the tagline. Some movies don't want to be found. <laughs> Is that really the tagline? No, of course, that's not the tagline, <laughs> but it's true. Well, OK, I feel like we've been the lead because we have dave on this review episode which is a rare hey! it's dave uh, i've been laughing in response <laughs> i mean there's no other choice really uh so we have a double review episode dave has seen one of the movies so that's half of a square in your bingo card i guess um but my plan had been to start with a money monster before we move on to a discussion of high rise which is movie dave has seen um so dave join us won't you for a brief venture into uh, george Clooney and julia roberts land Sound good? Oh, Yay. God. That, that sounds like a very attractive land for yeah. a certain age. Person. Very attractive and uh, full of commentary about the state of, uh, of Wall Street banks. Uh, I basically was the person who fought to do a review of Money Monster because I saw the movie, thought it was interesting. Uh, but I no one had else had seen it when I convinced you guys to review this on the show. And I, I think it's... Uh, well-made and interesting movie that isn't necessarily like great film like the fact that it's a can should not be used to mislead you into thinking it's like especially uh you know it's, it's searing it's not the big short or even um but i did like it a lot i thought it was entertaining i thought they're you know it used its star power well something we talked about in the main episode this week um patches are you mad at me for making you see this movie i'm mad as hell oh, wait. <laughs> ah. like different movie um i'm monster as hell uh, I kind of mad at you. This movie, oh, 
is a real dud. It's unfortunate. Uh, just to set up what it's about, um, George Clooney plays this guy, Lee Gates, and he's the host of Money Monster, a show that, oh, God, his uh, Jim Cramer, is that? Uh, yeah, it's just like a bad money. Yeah, yeah just- mad money, uh, where he's screaming at people. Actually, Jim Cramer screams at people, but George Clooney dances for people on Money Monster. So much silly dancing that will be Tumblr fodder for the next century or however long Tumblr lasts. But anyway, um, he plays Lee Gates and his producer, director, uh, Patty, played by Julia Roberts. It's her last day on the job. You know, finally hanging up her hat. too old for this shit. Yep, exactly. Last one, last show, one last show. (laughs) Turns out the last show is going to be hijacked by. Uh, Jack O'Connell playing this guy, Kyle, just a dude from Queens, lost 60 grand. That's a lot of money for some schmo to lose. But this guy's pretty dumb and he put it all on one uh, on one slot. Uh, Unfortunately, the company because George Clooney told him to. Yes, said that this uh, Ibis, I believe, is the company name. I'm not looking it up, but um, it's called Ibis. Yes, this mysterious trading company or something run by Dominic West from The Wire, Ibis. Um, George Clooney says this is a this is so safe, it's, it's safer than your uh, savings account. That's how reliable a tip this is. Well, it tanked. And now Jack O'Connell is mad. He brings a gun and a bomb vest to the set and holds everyone hostage. And what does he want? Well, it's not, it's not exactly clear, but uh, he certainly wants some apologies. No, he wants answers. He wants answers. Follow. He wants to know. So, yeah, the whole the whole situation here is the, the Ibis company lost $800 million in a technical glitch. Their algorithm for um, a certain type of investment, uh, I don't know, hiccuped, and then they lost $800 million. Or at least that's what they're saying. The PR people are, are touting. Um, and Jack O'Connell wants answers. He wants George Clooney to atone, kind of. And then the whole thing kind of blows up into a circus of, uh, you know, tra- figuring out this mystery and keeping everyone alive. No one wants to get shot. It's very tense or it's supposed to be. And then, again, a circus at the end. And, Katie, you love this movie for some reason. I, didn't, I mean, I, no, I, I, I'm not going to say love. Like, I don't, I don't think I walked out of it like – feeling any more intelligent than when I walked in or like it really had that much to say about banking or the world of finance. Although I do want to get into that because I think uh, it is a time, it is a movie for our Bernie Sanders times. Um, But I thought it was tense and I thought the acting was good and kind of kept me going along with a, you know, it's a, plot that isn't that likely but does seem kind of possible given the uh you know class struggles we find ourselves faced with and uh, i liked watching all these people kind of in this tight locked room playing off this tense situation yeah i made a mistake oh wait i just i I wanted to say quickly that i made a mistake of watching dog day afternoon a few days ago Oh, okay all right all right it's no dog day um which was definitely a mistake i was not thinking i wanted to watch some great performing in a tight space you know nothing could top pacino in that movie really but um it's this it's, is, it's not even uh, it's not even pigeon day afternoon let alone it's, dog it's, day afternoon. it's not even inside man i think is the better uh it's you yeah, know inside man i think an interesting comparison to it or at least you know and jody foster's in that movie i um yeah, yeah i really uh i wanted to like it so bad badly but i it just doesn't really work for me there are a couple of interesting themes in there and some of the performances are George Clooney's pretty good at the beginning and Julia Roberts is um you know fine uh it's it's tough i mean the the main thing that's depressing to me is that i really i, I really was hoping 
Jodie Foster was going to have a sort of a career course correction here because I, I, I really do like her and I, I am, I believe that she's very smart. I mean, that's sort of the, you know, that's, that's the play anyhow, is that she seems to be really intelligent and she speaks um, French. I know. And she went to Princeton or Yale or wherever the hell she went. And, um, you know, it's funny. I'm a little older than everybody here. So let me, let me, let me throw some of my, my, my years in your face. When I was a young lad, uh, like Jodie Foster was everywhere as a kid actress. She was like everywhere. And she was the smart, uh, well, she was the smart precocious kid that she was in the movies that we know her, but sort of growing up, she was like always around. She was in every Disney when, movie. She was like on contract she was, practically. She was golden yeah, age actress. She was everywhere. <clears throat> and then um, The Accused and then Silence of the Lambs. And then she becomes a director. And I swear to you, this sounds crazy now. But in like 1991, 92, when her first film, uh, Little Man Tate, came out, everybody said, okay, Little Man Tate isn't a masterpiece. But we know how brilliant Jodie Foster is because we've been indoctrinated in her brilliance for decades that this is just her first small film before she becomes the next Martin Scorsese. You know, that was the that was the word is that she was groomed for greatness and it kind of never really happened. And uh, and her work has been she tried to get a movie made for that 10 year span or like 15 year span. Oh, Flora Plum. Yes, Flora Plum. Uh, I would highly recommend reading up on that disastrous. uh, Oh, Attempt. So it's all whatever it's, it's whatever studio strung her along for ten years and didn't I think let it happen. So or? and then she finally did the Beaver, and yeah, sad. Yeah. Right, and then the, see, I want to see the Beaver again because, and I think Patches, you might have been there. Um, South by. I happen to have been there. Yeah, at South by at its yeah. world premiere, and it was like literally ten days after Mel Gibson's uh, second, you know blow up whatever you know what his first blow up was anti against the jews his second blow up was against women so you know this was the one this against after women sugar tits. no no sugar tits was the first one that was he said well, that to the cop that, and he said i he think said it was sugar tits and the jews cause all wars yeah that was the first one <laughs> and then the second one was just he was screaming at his ex-girlfriend oh, I, he, he was not a nice guy a weaker sequel we'll but all admit the point is like yeah, the the, the the thing is, um, the beaver really lives and dies on the, um, you know, how sympathetic you find the lead actor. It's all the charisma. And if you're sitting there in the theater going, oh, this Gibson guy's a real creep, you just can't like the movie. It's a real issue. You know, I feel like if that was in any other actor, maybe the beaver would have been. Uh, you know, better received. And then after that, she doubles down on Elysium. We're thinking, all right, she's going to get a sink her teeth into she a great villain that. role. Be clear. No, she didn't direct the Elysium, but it was like district nine was really cool. Here comes Elysium. She's a foil to Matt Damon. Cool sci-fi. She's going to be, you know, she's, she's going to be a, you know, a great villain role is perfect for her and she's terrible in it. I'm not her fault. The whole movie's a disaster. So what is my point? My point is like I, I, this is her third at bat or third strike. And I can't say that this movie's any good. It really it really stinks. It's um, it's, it's just not bad. tense. I, I mean, think that's it, the problem, right? You're you, it tells you that this is a really edgier seat trickle of sweats down everyone's forehead. Any wrong move, someone could get shot and die. 
and you don't really feel that tension. At least I didn't at all mm. at any point. No. Um, you know, no. we can buy into <laughs> Clooney's <laughs> charisma, but at the end of the day, it's this weird setup where Jack O'Connell wants answers from Clooney, and then about halfway through the movie, Clooney's off the hook. Like, this is not his problem anymore. He did not give bad advice. He was fed bad information, and suddenly the mystery takes over from the atonement. And and it's that there are no dramatic stakes. Like, what is this movie about? Right. You, you're you scratching your head at the end. I don't know. I really like the way. I mean, I don't want to like spoil too much of this movie that no one will see. Um, but I like the way that it goes from them being adversaries to kind of working together. I like the way it flips that script and kind of you know brings you into this other kind of villain who the movie is actually going to be about. Which I do think is like where if there is like an actual message to this movie, that's where it comes in. I agree that that's an interesting concept, but the actual, but the the specifics of it are really tedious. Like, you know, it's it's Dominic West is flying around in his jet. He's doing some weird shenanigans with embezzling funds. There's all these like cell phone calls to computer hackers, and it's just, it just it, like the the third act is really silly. Like, there was a lot of giggling in the theater, just like wow, you know, trying to explain everything. There was like just like information bumps over cell phone calls and there's a lot of running around at the end i personally found jack o'connell's performance to be really bad he's doing this this bad kind of like i'm a new yorker i gotta make funny faces Uh." um the one thing i did like is i really liked um the relationship between julia roberts and um clooney in that she's the producer, he's the star, <clears throat> and they sort of have ESP because they've been working together for so long, and they know what each other's next move is, like how, what he's going to say when he goes to the computer monitor and shows a graphic or something, and she's one step mm-hmm. ahead of him. That's good, but that's also – that's in the movie Morning Glory too, right? I mean, Underrated. So- Morning Glory does it much, much better. That's about like yeah. getting on the same page and respecting one another. So there's just so many threads here. Like at the beginning of the movie – Julia Roberts and George Clooney are butting heads because Clooney will never follow the script. It's the opposite of what you're saying. They don't have – after all these years, she's no, not in his do. head. She no, doesn't have him on a chain. The ones that – I disagree with you. That's all, that's all sort of bluster. But as soon as the as soon as the cameras are on, they're in it. They're talking their Well, that's because she's whatnot. in his ear, but, like literally feeding yeah. him. But like they, I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for movies about competent professionals in the workplace. Like I, broadcast news might be my favorite movie ever, and like which is maybe why I like Morning Glory. And I do think it gets a lot of that, and it, it benefits from having Julia Roberts and George Clooney doing it. Like they know each other, they work together, they have a you know an on screen relationship that we all know about, and clearly get along off screen. Yeah, I, I just feel like yeah. this movie's missing. It's missing a playwright. I don't know. Mm. I don't know the people who wrote the script. Um. Oh, wow. The one guy. OK, the writer of this movie wrote Dear John and We Are Marshall and directed that oh movie. No one saw 10 years. And from a story from the creator of the TV show Grimm. OK, this is not Anthony <laughs> Schaefer. You know, this is not Sleuth. No. This is not <clears throat> Mammoth. This it's, is not Stoppard. This needs but it needs something to that level. It needs to like. Yeah, or it's Mammoth, not even you know? it, it, It's funny. The first. The first scene, there was like a, a walk and talk, and I'm like, oh, is this going to be Sorkinese the whole time? And I'm like, no, it's not even as good as that. It's just uh, – I just don't feel claustrophobic. I got to say. Sorry. Yeah, it didn't for me. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Jody Foster. <laughs> Sorry, Katie. I wish I liked it well, more. Yeah, the, I the mean, one... it's, it's, it's no duplicity. The Julia Roberts – That movie I, rules. I, I, that movie rules. That movie is so good. That's so good. He does. <laughs> but and wait. Nobody saw it, but – 
what's his name? Giamatti's in it. Everybody's in that Tom movie. Tom Wilkinson and Paul Giamatti fighting on airplane tar- airport tarmac. It's uh, priceless. People saw that. Well, people no, have discovered that movie. That's a uh, from the writer of Born Identity, right? People, I feel Tony like I brought this movie up like constantly on this podcast. Once a year on the podcast. Wasn't, wasn't the duplicity follow-up was um, the one with uh, Margot Robbie and Will Smith, right? Focus, no. Uh, Were they Robin? No. I don't Focus, think yeah, that was the same people. Not the same guy. Tony Gilroy did Duplicity, and Glenn yeah. Fuqua, or whatever who his did? name is, did the guys uh, who did the Jim Carrey. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gay and went to prison movie. Oh, that yeah. one. Yeah. So, but no, I think that Focus and Duplicity have a connection in some way. There must be a connection. To Someone will definitely tell us. Forty million dollars. No one saw it in theaters, but people yeah. discovered it later. Thanks to us, this podcast. <laughs> okay, all right. So, I, obviously, we want to move on from Money Monster because we're talking about a totally different movie. But uh, Patches, what did you think of Jack O'Connell? I mentioned earlier uh, in the main show this week that I want kind of stardom for him, and I, I mean, I think his New York accent is bad, but I like. The way he does vulnerability in this movie, it is some connection to Al Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon, even though the the performances are not in the same league. Uh, Did you see anything good in there? Yeah, the first 10 minutes that he's on screen are really exciting because he comes in waving his gun, acting like a madman and having a point, right? He's lost all his money. He's coming from a very real place. You touched on the political aspect of this or the reality aspect. And yeah, it's, it's something a lot of people can can get behind can relate to and they want someone screaming like you kind of think yes someone should do this to, <laughs> to get yeah. someone's attention um i'm not con- i would not condone that behavior that's not good uh but y- you kind of root for him for a second the problem is they make him very very dumb he doesn't really have good yeah. points he doesn't have a strong motivation for doing this throughout the movie you know it's revealed he makes 14 dollars a day he drives. He's a he's a delivery man an or something. Or, I'm sorry, fourteen dollars an hour. Fourteen dollars an hour. Um, but that he's got he got sixty thousand dollars after his mom passed away or something, and then he dumped all of that on like yeah. one investment. That's just stupid, man. That's really hey, dumb. His girlfriend. His girlfriend is for it. His girlfriend is pregnant. Like, what is this guy thinking? He's a lunatic, and that undercuts the movie he should have better points he should come from a very real place and that he bought into the money monster show this like he needed this person to lead him to a great investment he bought into the hype of of this system that we've created for ourselves and it failed him but the movie spirals out of control it's not about that halfway through and he's an idiot and it's suddenly the george clooney show where he and it's but it's not even a redemption tale that's the craziest thing right it's very strange it's very strange and the other thing is like you think it's headed away like it's going to be a big commentary on like you know uh very few people understand how wall street works i mean i certainly would never claim to understand i understand the broad strokes but you know there are all these experts that say you know you if you've got 60 grand i can turn that into a million for you just just follow me and you know and that is uh, you know, oftentimes a con, but you know, nobody held a gun in his head and told him to invest. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, but it doesn't really have any follow up. Like, it is, I don't know, like, what it's, I don't know what Money Monster really thinks of guys like Jim Kramer because at the end of the movie, Clooney's a, a hero, even though he doesn't do anything. He doesn't he do anything out of the way. No, he does reporting. Yeah, he get, like they do the reporting but they, that they haven't been doing but the, before. The reporting is Julie so Roberts flimsy. All that. The reporting is so flimsy because it starts relying on 
just like, oh, do we know hackers in Reykjavik? Of course we do. We did that one story. Yet halfway through the movie, they self-reflect and say, we are not journalists. Why would they have this information? It's ludicrous. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's very uh, – yeah, it's, it's kind of a mess. And it pats Clooney on the back. It pats Clooney on the back. That's the crazy part. Like he, he should be damned. He is a bad person in the beginning of this movie. But, the, but it's, you don't this, think this is about reformation, about him deciding that he wants to do it differently? No, because at the – No, well, the movie ends with what we're going to do tomorrow. Yeah, minor, minor spoiler here, but he, everyone's like, OK, next, uh-huh. next week. And then the movie's so cynical that it's blaming us for this, these events. It's blaming what? the common man because after the events, after everyone in the nation watches this happen live on television, they go back to playing foosball. Or they make Vine videos out of it. It's a big fu to the audience. It's super cynical. But you don't think it's an fu to the audience who makes something like Money Monster possible, who turns finance and or all of this into entertainment rather than actually investigating it? I mean, it's also a movie, right? We've turned it's it like into entertainment. The, it's like the. I mean, it's the end of the Truman Show. Like, did you think that the Truman Show is like a fuck you to the audience at the end? For watching it, uh, no. It's a. It's blaming the manipulator, right? It's blaming Ed Harris, not us watching yeah but it, it ends on the people turning the channel to figure out what, what to watch next we are all we are all culpable for this is what it's i think katie y- you are correct in that is what it wants to do i don't think it lands i think that's fair i mean i, I think it's fair if you don't think it lands but i do think it, it's, yeah. it's, it's go it's not it's not as cynical as you're making it out to be patches we no, just it thought wants to end like network and it, it just right. it doesn't really no, come i mean together. everything wants to end on network Sure. I, I am with you guys. I think it could have used a better script. Like I think it really like Jodie Foster was like, oh, I'm going to play around in a thriller. I think she did some really interesting stuff with both the Julia Roberts role and the Katrina Balfe role. She's the publicist for Dominic West. And it has these kind of two women who are solving the problems and they're in these jobs where they're subordinate to men, which is a, you know, a job that a lot of women find themselves in, but uh, have a lot of power in that position, which I think is interesting for a large movie like this. Um but well, even if it doesn't get – I don't know. I guess I felt the tension of it, which is really makes yeah. the, the difference. The one, the one thing – I know this movie failed on some level because Jordan is the ultimate barometer. If people remember the last time Jordan was on the show, he was like Mr. Bleeding Heart Liberal flipping the bird to Michael Bay's 13 Hours movie. It was outrageous. I <laughs> we mean, still – Jordan, we still get iTunes reviews about that. And, <laughs> oh, wait, Do they hate me and think I'm uh, – should go back to Russia or <laughs> something? Or? Should go back and forth. <laughs> Okay. You, you, well, yeah, it's it's like Civil War, uh, Captain America Civil War. People are yeah. picking sides. But uh, I knew it was failing on some level because Jordan wasn't screaming and cheering and being like, fuck the man and the one percent. No, and no, he, instead care. he was I booing was at the end of the movie. <laughs> I did. I booed at the end. I wanted to go home. And wow. That was your can experience. I was like, enough. Yeah, they're showing this out of competition at Cannes. And I really am curious if it's going to get some of those classic can boos. And uh, I hope it does, because I think it stinks. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Bernie Sanders would like it, Jordan. I don't know what Bernie, Bernie Sanders, Sanders would think. probably would like. He would like it because the last time he went to a movie was probably Dog Day Afternoon, <laughs> and uh, uh, he he doesn't get out much. So you don't think he, like he saw it. Inside Job in theaters? You know, I don't, I would like to know what Bernie Sanders' movie-going habits are. I don't think he has Netflix. That's way too advanced. I think for him. this is the interview you were born to. Break up the big studios. That's true. I would. A twenty-four. I wonder if you if he like yeah he likes A twenty-four. <laughs> he follows David Ehrlich on Twitter and whatever David likes he watches. I think is what it is. <laughs> 
Well, if you don't go see Money Monster, which, I mean, I, even if I liked it, I, I, I'm not going to say it's the one thing you should see. Uh, let this be a reminder that Julia Roberts great goes to duplicity. How about that? Can we all agree on that? Everyone should see duplicity. Duplicity's great. Yeah. 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 In there. Uh, do you want to tell us? I haven't seen High Rise, so I'm going to step out for the second half of the review and uh, let someone else tell me what this movie's all about. Oh, sweet. It's based on a novel, but I didn't know that going in, so I'm going to just tell the plot of the movie, uh, which is not at all clear. I, I, from what I understand, it's much clearer in the novel. But Tom Hiddleston plays a doctor who peels people's faces off for a living, uh, moves into a... Yeah, I mean, it's much more played much more <laughs> simply than that. But all you really see him do is peel people's faces off very graphically in uh, director Ben Wheatley's uh, classic unsettling British style. Uh, so he moves into this tower where everybody uh, has everything they need. There's pools, there's a grocery store, uh, there's a gym. And we sort of through a series of parties meet the other residents of these towers including uh, Luke Evans, who plays Richard Wilder, who's a documentarian who lives uh, sort of at the middle to low levels of the tower, but definitely below uh, Tom Hiddleston's character. Uh, Sienna Miller plays uh, this lady named Charlotte who lives directly above Tom Hiddleston, and she's like a bit more ritzy, and we get the idea that the further up you go, uh, the more affluent you are when we finally meet uh, Jeremy Irons' architect, who is the man who built the building. And we learned that the building is one of uh, four proposed buildings. It was just the first one that got done. And so we watch as this uh, building sort of eats the people inside of it. They stop leaving to go to work and they start, uh, like the lower levels start revolting when power starts to go out in the lower levels. And then slowly uh, Luke Evans' character starts to work his way towards the to the top of the tower to confront the architect is the plot. The movie <laughs> sort of takes this green light state. Yeah. It's a little uh, more delirious than Snowpiercer or something like that. Yes. It's or yeah. Dread. Is what oh yeah. Dread. Very appropriate. Yeah. But this, this is definitely, it feels like it's set in the seventies with the way certain apartments are decorated, but then it's also very uh, dystopian on certain levels. Uh, Tom Hiddleston's character is constantly attending parties, whether they be accidentally, you know, crashing a really rich party where they're dressed up in like ridiculous French aristocracy costumes or like a Luke Evans uh, Wilder family party where Elizabeth Moss plays uh, his wife and she's like adorable, even though kind of useless in this movie. But they have like these crazy drugged out, like what looks like to swinger parties. And somehow uh, these things all uh, like mash together to create like a fever dream. Like the way Apocalypse Now has a plot, but doesn't, you know, feel like it necessarily has one by the time the movie's over. 
<laughs> it, it ends that's with like a, a Margaret Thatcher speech that's like, <laughs> just in case you didn't notice, this was Animal Farm in a building. <laughs> yeah, it's very British. Uh, it's in I I I I liked the movie a lot. It's really weird. Um, and I saw it a long time ago, but it's really you can't um undersell. You can't oversell, excuse me, the style, the look. It's all done in uh, what the Brits call the brutalist style of architecture, which is sort of that uh, late 60s through early 80s kind of cream-colored concrete. Uh, but it's also modernist as well. It's a real nice blend of those two styles. And um, every frame is just really cool to look at and Tom Hiddleston is pr- pretty slick dude, and uh, we saw this at midnight. It, it's at like Toronto, right? Like we were, yeah, out of our minds I'm a already. Easy on it. We, yeah, yeah, it was kind of. I, I, I must. It was a long day. It was late in the festival, and it was rainy that day, so it was like wet and tired. And I must confess that, um, and I wasn't reviewing it, so I was there for fun. So I must confess that it did not stick with me as much as I would like. So I definitely want to catch it again, but it's it's. Um, it's a good weird movie, you know. It's it's a it's a real kind of like midnight movie in in a, in a classic sort of eraserhead sense. Well, Jordan, what I wanted to ask you was, okay, so they've been trying to make High Rise for a very long time, I believe. I think like Kubrick wanted to make Who's, it, Nicholas oh, wow. Roig wanted to make it, um, and it's ba- as Dave mentioned, it's based on a novel by J.G. Ballard. And Jordan, you've been reading a bunch of. J.G. Ballard lately. Yeah. J.G. Ballard, um, if you don't know, he's the guy that uh, uh, he's written a lot of books. And I happen to be currently reading a collection of his short stories, and they're really cool. Um, He wrote the book that Crash, that David Cronenberg's Crash was based on. Uh, Not the one where everybody finds uh, racial harmony through a car crash, but the one where people get turned on by car (laughs) crash. Yeah, with uh, yeah. who's Elias Kodias and uh, you know everybody saw that one, right? That's a creepy movie. But he also uh, he lived an interesting life, uh, and he wrote um, an autobiography or memoir, which was tr- um, then adapted into the Spielberg film Empire of the Sun. So he's kind of got this dystopian sci-fi aspect, and then he's also got. Um, that, you know, like that's that's his love, you know, young Christian Bale, uh, a novel of his that I read, which came out at around the same time as High Rise. He was sort of in his peak in the early 70s. And he was banging them out a lot. So I think it was either right before or right after High Rise it was called Concrete Island. And the premise of Concrete Island is it's, uh, you know, picture one of those um, uh, highway uh, you know, like when you look from uh, from a bird's eye view and there's like a big knot, like a ribbon of highways all swirling around each other for an interchange. So a guy gets in an accident and he goes over the rail and he lands in like a uh, a ditch and he can't get back to the highway because like it's everything's too fast. He's too low and nobody can see him. And it turns out there's like a weird civilization there. And he like, you know, builds a hut and he lives like in the middle of the highway on the on the lawn there for a little while and shenanigans ensue. So, you know, sort of these symbolic, uh, you know, sort of like urban overgrowth. Uh, you know, landscapes are are are, are where his head's at. Well, yeah, but, his, uh, I never read High Rise. His books feel very specifically British to me, and High Rise has that same air to it. Like maybe I'm never going to understand everything because my experience is just not tied to what's happening 
in the in the very specific detailing because of, of this because movie. of the class system thing because the british are famously more obsessed with class than we are yeah i mean uh, that's that's absolutely true too right it, this is like downton abbey except uh with many more floors and <laughs> uh a psychotropic attitude uh but yeah there's there's a lot of detailing oh, there that i feel I like maybe i'd maybe i'd understand it if i was living it a bit more but i i think you're it's it's that might not be this movie because if what Jordan's saying about Ballard is true, then he's like a guy that talks about like urbanization and modernism, like affecting humans in a very real way. This movie doesn't tell that story effectively. This movie like presents a a mood and then tells you what that mood is like portraying ultimately. But it's, it's not like, you know, Apparently in this this book that I'm Wikipediaing right now, there's like all plots about like who has access to what elevators and like different factions on different mm. levels. And that's all like more like Crash the movie, which was adapted from his book, which is like here's the human consequence to technology. This movie is just more like a, a visual uh like I right. guess tour through peep through the book. This is not Gattaca. Yeah, that's you know, from what I've been uh, told uh, and from someone who liked the film, they said it's not a particularly faithful adaptation to the book, but they still like the, the film on its own. But um, I mean, the, the premise is it's kind of so, so simple. It's almost cheesy. It's like, well, you know, uh, you know, if, if you live on top, you're king of the world. If you live down in the basement, you're a schmuck. And then uh, it goes from there. But I, I the, the, the movie is just sort of like scene after scene of strangeness. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's a lot of good nudity. There are these weird party scenes. There's some violence. <laughs> Jeremy Irons is 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 crazy, um, and it just looks really slick. It looks really cool. Um, but uh, I saw it at midnight toward the end of the Toronto Film Festival in the rain, uh, and I uh, can't honestly tell you uh, <laughs> that I was able to follow every aspect of the plot because he, it's a uh, little bit uh, opaque. He eats know, a dog so. at some point. He's chowing down. It's just like you no, know, he does. It. I think he eats a horse and he drowns a dog, but Whoa. I'm pretty sure he's eating a dog at the yeah, right the in the beginning of the movie. We will have to fact oh, check. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yes, that's... you're right. You're right. Tom Hiddleston. You were talking about. Yeah, I was yeah. talking about Luke Evans. No, there's all sorts of does animal consumption in this movie. Well, let's talk. We should talk about Tom Hiddleston for a second because for all the like yeah. molten visuals, which is you know it's it's like a lava lamp of a movie. Um, Tom Hiddleston is still a, a sturdy keystone of this whole operation his just the, his the fact, very handsome the fact that he had this and the, the hank williams biopic that nobody liked at toronto at the same time is really interesting yeah opposite ends of the spectrum yeah he, it was sort, sort of a highlight he's very handsome he wears a suit um there's a re- recurring image where he's in an elevator and the elevator is made out of mirrors and like you know he's just hanging out in there he's very very some stuff going on um but uh yeah he's um uh he's a looker <laughs> that's about all i can say i saw the movie a long time ago. jordan was but tripping it's, balls it's like during this visual. movie all right well uh dave you are me i think people should people should dave you live out in colorado i think this is a good one for colorado uh, inhabitants if you catch my grift right this is a this is a head film wouldn't you say you mean our legal marijuana that i could mention because it's like beer in terms of yes. legality yes if, that'd be great live if you live in Colorado and can legally purchase cannabis, and uh, if you inhale it in smoked form, uh, the THC will affect your mind in such a way that you may like high rise, high rise, more <laughs> than if you didn't. 
Yeah, bring me the prog rock album that syncs up to this movie and <laughs> I will be forever in your debt. Uh, but I guess yeah. otherwise, in terms of overall impressions, um, I'm happy to see uh, Ben Wheatley do something interesting uh, and I'm thrilled that it's going to lure in some people that are like, let's see what Tom Hiddleston's up to on VOD this week and just like uh, blow, blow their minds. But I can't say like it's... Uh, taught me anything about the material uh, besides being really pretty to look at. Maybe this is an intoxication required movie. And, so and, it's a good movie yeah. for VOD is what you're saying. Well, you watch it from, and take a gamble on it and uh, watch it with your substance of choice. I don't know. Oh, I yeah. don't know about it on VOD. I worry about that because you need to kind of be transfixed on it. This is not something to watch in passing glance, um, you know, because it's not a plot movie. If you can, Turn it on the background, but are you going to truly enjoy it unless you're locked in a theater and totally absorbed? I'm not. I'm not so sure. But you, yeah, you can get it on VOD right now. I don't know. Which is how Dave watched it. True. True. Yeah. And you enjoyed it. Um, I, did, I didn't like Kill List. Will I like this? What? We've talked about this. Uh, what? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Opinions on Kill List are well established. I think it's a big skip for you on that one. And there are many, many people that uh, whose opinions we hold dear who do not like this movie. I think we True. should be clear. So It's a weird movie. Polarizing, yeah. Well, I'll be the mainstream idiot who likes Money Monster and will never see High Rise. So. Lamestream media. Lamestream media? Is that what you just called me? Yeah. Lamestream, yeah. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> You guys all turn into Glenn Beck all of a sudden. That sounds fun. Oh. Uh, High Rise, now available on VOD, huh? And probably in some theaters? Yeah, maybe one uh, or two still. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, if you have intrigued you, seek it out. All right, uh, before we get into your lightning round answers, uh, Jordan, you saw Last Days in the Desert, the movie in which you and McGregor plays both Jesus and Satan. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Please tell me about this movie. It's so good. It's it is so good. I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw it in January of 2015 at Sundance, and it t- took this long to come out. Um, it's dynamite. And it's funny because I wind up uh, – seeing a lot of Christian films, uh, you know, like the um, uh, Son of a God and um, God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2. And I always say, War Room. you know, this is an underserved market. Uh, War Room was another one that I saw. Not named um, Nope. No, no, no. You would, dis- you would have to change your name if it was. It's an embarrassment. <laughs> um, Last Days of the Desert is dynamite. It's really, really good. It is an interpretive um, – film about uh if you if you know your bible studies jc um before he goes to into jerusalem and gets his disciples going he he goes in the desert and communes with himself and is tempted by the devil uh and it's all about that time um he meets up with uh young ty sheridan and um the irish actor whose name i can't pronounce that's in everything uh that guy yeah he's in it um, and it is a it is a film for the faithful. I mean, you don't have to be uh, religious, but religious people will like it, and people who like a good yarn will like it. It's absolutely beautiful. It's shot by who shot the movie? Patches. Uh, his name is Chivo. <laughs> Chivo shot it. 
Emmanuel Lezecki. We know him. Three-time Oscar winner. True. Yeah, uh, and it's great. And um, you know, go see it. Go. It's 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 a shame. It's playing in one tiny theater in New York. I don't know why it fell apart. Is it Weinstein? They don't know how to release no, a broad, movie. No, Broad Green Pictures is putting it out. I mean, what the hell's Broad Pictures? It is a tough. Well, well actually, they're doing well. quite well, so don't knock them. Um, but they, it's a hard movie to sell, right? It's not overtly religious in the in the way that the Christian films that you mentioned were, but it's pretty meandering and and. I don't know. It's maybe not as poetic as it hopes to be. So it's that's makes it a tougher sell. But wait, did you mention that it has the the best last shot of the year? Probably. Uh, no, it really does have the best last. It has. Uh, it is a a trip. The last bit is just like whoa. Yeah, but I would not spoil it's, it's, it. It's like it's like the, the, it, not since Planet of the Apes has there been a, a good a last shot as good as this. Um, you know, it's a shame. I think Broad Green should be marketing it to the bible belt um maybe it's too good for that audience i mean i see a lot of those christian films that are marketed uh to those uh to that audience and they're abysmal they're an embarrassment but and i always say there have been really good movies for quote unquote people of faith uh the mission which is a catholic af as they say on the internet <laughs> uh, is, is a brilliant movie it's it's fantastic again jeremy irons gets a shout out he's great in the mission, I think uh, you know the uh, Pasolini's Gospel according to Matthew is 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 a masterpiece, and these movies are out there, and this is one of them. And and uh, I feel very strongly about this movie. It's uh, if if this was December thirty first, it would be on my top ten list of the year. That's wow. that's how. Fun. It's what if it was December twenty fifth? Yes, it, it would be the entire list if it was December. It would be. <laughs> it would be. So it's really good. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be VOD as well. Um, Dim the lights, make some, uh, you know, get your Christian friends over and 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 have it out. But you know, it's about s- scenes that aren't in the Bible. It's about the characters, right? I mean, that's what that's what the the religion, people who do Bible study, is all about. When you know, you read a passage from from the Good Book and you analyze it and you try to make it uh, appropriate to your own life and try to find. Uh, you know, themes, and uh, this isn't taken directly from the gospel. It's taken from the uh, Cimmerillion, I believe. Yeah, it's, really, it's, it's from Jesus's Cimmerillion. Sl- uh, what else the hell? I think it's from the Miles Morales Spider Man universe. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, that right? Exactly, exactly. Sounds hard to me. But but it's but I think it Ultimate passes Jesus. the sniff test for any for any uh, you know Christian. I it should. I mean, it's. Uh, it's pretty neat. And Jordan Hoffman, noted Christian scholar, tells us. Right, right, right. Christians should like this movie. Yeah, and, and Ewan McGregor is in a lot of shitty movies, and this is a good one. He's he's pretty good in this, so there you go. All right. Well, uh, Jordan, I'll let you keep talking. And Well, first, got to ask Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of The Lobster, a fantastic movie that I hope we get That we will talk, talk about, yeah. Yes, we need to make time for it. Uh, not not this episode, but uh, not of The Lobster. What's the best movie that makes being single seem perfectly okay? Jordan, as our guest, uh, what's your thought? <laughs> Very weird movie. Did anybody see that movie, Tracks? About the girl who Mia Wasikowska walks through the desert yeah. with a camel. No, but not yeah. the one directed by Peter Weir, where Mia Wasikowska walks through the desert. Oh no, that's where she wrote it. Never mind. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, no, that's the, different. The way back. That's the way back. This Carry is a on. different, and it's not rabbit-proof fence either, which is about two um, um, <laughs> Aboriginal girls walking around the desert. No, Tracks is a great movie about being single. She wants to walk. She walks. Good for her. She doesn't need no man. She doesn't need <laughs> no woman. She just needs herself and her camel. 
And uh, uh, it's the only thing that I can think of right now. But that movie's very good. Good old tracks. Dave, do you need a woman to walk? Uh, no, I'm going to pick uh, listeners Silver whatever who said Home Alone and Home Alone 2 because Kevin always seemed much happier on his own. Very true. Uh, Patches, how about you? No one said wild. That's weird, right? That's true. Wild is no like a better. perfect wild. example of this. Wild is a great no. example. You're both wrong. Trax is the better okay. wild. Well, Trax <laughs> is wild what uh, uh, um, Volcano is to Dante's peak. <laughs> or whatever the good one is. Uh, fair. Missing a camel. Oh. All, I, all I did during wild was say Trax is so much better than this. Oh you probably God. did out loud in the theater. Yeah, I, could, I did. I had to leave. Well, since no one said wild, um, and there maybe there was like some slight confusion here. We were debating before picking these answers whether it was acceptable to pick uh, movies about bad relationships versus movies that like empower single people. A lot of bad relationship movies. Uh, but I'm going to go with at M. Satulo and actually at Zach underscore Parks. Both said Gone Girl. I'm going to go with Gone Girl. I feel like that I mean- is – about being independent and maybe not being stuck in your horrible relationship. And, and she and does have a pretty good time when she's off on her own. So yeah, Especially she's it. chilling. Um, I'm going with uh, at the real Illich who said <laughs> an education, which is such a good movie that I don't think about very often, but uh, makes a case for being single at an age when you really need to know that when you're a teenager and you think that having a boyfriend will solve all of your problems. You know, sometimes Peter Sarsgaard just is not right, not the right guy for you. I think I yeah, solved all I my like, high school girlfriend's problems by being with her. So there you go. Yeah. Can we call? Can we have her in the next quarter? <laughs> oh, <call>? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have a, I have an idea. Can we write some slash fiction between Mia Wazakowska from Tracks and Reese Witherspoon from Wild and they can walk together? No, because we are not the slash film cast. Oh. Yeah. Uh, See what so I did there? Doesn't slash fiction imply they have to have sex? Uh, it could be PG related, rated slash fiction. It could be smooching. I'll just, I'll just cuddle. They just both understand the camel deeply. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no camel in the wild. Are we, we're all aware that, of this, right? That's the problem with that. <laughs> that, that, that this slash fiction would fix. <laughs> well, if you have this slash fiction at the ready, re, uh, listeners, please send it in. I, I will be entertained. Camel. Uh, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week, maybe talking about the lobster or some other things. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Starting with our guest, Jordan Hoffman. Where can people find you online? Hi. Oh, I'm Jordan Hoffman. I, I'm a U.S.-based critic for The Guardian. You can read me on the Twitter at at jhoffman. Dot, no, dot, just at jhoffman. Jordanhoffman.com. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. That does exist. Uh, yeah. And I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior entertainment editor at Thrillist.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm at Latino-Review.com and Geek.com and on Twitter at DA7E. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. I'm at VanityFair.com. And brief plug, Little Goldman also has Jordan Hoffman on this week. It's a relevant plug. So listen to that. Is that live yet? Uh, it, it will be by the time this episode is airs. Awesome. I can't wait to hear myself. <laughs> I know you can't. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Bye.